you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm really excited for today because we'll be talking about designing fulfilling careers. And to do so, I'm joined by Tammy Guler-Loeb, author of Work from the Inside Out, Break Through Nine Common Obstacles and Design a Career That Fulfills You. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and talking about the book. And before we dig into that uh, conversation and and talk more about the book, let me properly introduce you. Tammy Guler-Loeb is a speaker, career, and executive coach who inspires people to develop careers that are fulfilling and sustainable. We both like that word. Over (laughs) two decades, Tammy has shared her expertise with audiences and clients focusing on career transitions, cutting edge job search and networking strategies, as well as leadership and team development. Tammy engages and motivates people to consider their career options, expand their communication capabilities and build their networks to develop more meaningful professional opportunities. Tammy also hosts a weekly podcast. For those who might watch this on video, you'll see her fancy microphone um, <laughs> work. And she also, uh, it's called Work from the Inside Out, sharing that title with, with the book. And the podcast showcases inspiring ser- stories and practical lessons of professionals who made transitions to more satisfying work. And I was thrilled to be a guest on Tammy's show on episode number 150. Um, her expertise appears in publications such as Harvard Business Review Ascend, Forbes, Fast Company, and the Boston Globe. And now she has her own book, Work from the Inside Out. And Tammy, I wanted to start here. You dedicate your book to your parents and Mm -hmm. share that they raised you to believe that careers are intended to be fulfilling pursuits. And I thought this was really interesting because Sometimes I feel like in today's modern world, and when we talk about careers and professions, mm-hmm. there seems to be a little bit of almost a pushback. And I feel like it's because work has become so demanding of us and like mm-hmm. our lives have gotten so busy that it almost seems like if you're somebody who is into their careers or, you know, uh, ambitious, that there's almost like this negative connotation to it mm-hmm. in some respects. And then there's also sometimes this notion of like, is is looking for fulfilling work almost in and of itself too ambitious of something one should be stretching for. And yet I kind of, why I focus on this so much in terms of my work too, is because I find that I think finding 
meaningful and fulfilling work that's personally defined, it really contributes to our happiness. And Jonathan Haidt wrote about this in the happiness hypothesis. And I think what's interesting about today's world too, is we're all talking about the great resignation. And yet there isn't that much talk about all these people who did lose their jobs during the pandemic and how much negative effect that's had on their mental health. And so to bring it back to you, I know that's a long preamble, but this idea of career should be about fulfilling pursuits. I'm curious how your parents demonstrated that for you and Mm -hmm. why you hold this belief now. Yeah. Well, um, well, let me tell you a little bit about what my parents did for work and um, and just the kinds of conversations that that I had with them growing up. So so my dad was a school psychologist in a public school system, same same public school system, 30 years. Um, And my mom first few years we were, we were young, she was home with us. But then by the time I think I was seven, she, she went back to work part-time working as an aide in a um, special education class. Cause at that point there were, there were, you know, uh, the classes were, were separate. The kids who had developmental disabilities and things were in a separate classroom. So she was, she was helping out there. So she used to come home you know, and tell all kinds of stories about the students in her class and the different interactions she had with them. And my dad would come home at the end of the day and and talk about different, you know, uh, interactions and experiences he had. So dinner table conversations from a very young age were all about all the interesting people that they engaged with throughout their days. And um and my parents spoke about the people that they were either helping or trying to serve with, you know, a great deal of appreciation and compassion for whatever challenges they were facing, whatever nuances were going on in their lives, um, because everybody that they dealt with were were people who were um, eligible or in need of some kind of services. And my parents were in a position to provide them. Oh, I will also say that Several years later, my mother um, ended up getting a full-time job as uh, the director of social services at a 175-bed nursing home. So that was a very different kind of role. I mean, in this day and age, you would need, you know, like a master's degree in social work to take a job like that on. My mother didn't even have a bachelor's degree. She had a high school diploma and a couple of college credits. Um, Basically, she just had, you know, her head on straight and a, a good persona and, and an ability to write, you know, pretty good, I guess, reports and things um, because the job involved a good amount of writing and things like that. Um, and she did a lot of work with families in, in that job. So she also came home talking about the patients she interacted with and their families and their life stories and all kinds of things. So, you know. I and then my dad in the summers when he was off from school he a couple of summers ran these camps for um for kids with developmental disabilities and I used to go visit him at the camps I think I volunteered at the camp at one point so there was just I was just always surrounded by this so you know it and and they used to talk to me about you know, my dreams and my hopes of what I wanted to do. There was never any pressure about what I should or shouldn't do. It's just, 
they always spoke to me as if I was someone who was going to make a difference somewhere, somehow, or what, what I was going to do. But yet it, it never felt a pressure. It was just like something to look forward to. And interestingly, you know, I grew up in a time, I mean, from kindergarten through through high school, we're talking mid-60s up through the late 70s. There were lots of, you know, um, young girls, young women who would graduate from high school with families, had no expectations of their daughters going to college. And for me, I graduated from high school with a with a with a mindset that not only would I go to college, but that there was a pretty good likelihood I'd probably go on and get a master's degree at some point. And and um, without the pressure, but just that these were the kinds of conversations that went on either in my house or in and amongst the family, my my extended family. And so, um, you know, I just I just had this vision of myself doing some good in the world. Yeah, I love that. And then you you go on. So it's kind of starts to set this groundwork, but you go, go on to say in the book that you yourself formed and it's you're giving reason for why this probably formed for you. And also because of the type of work that your parents did that in your own life, you form this um, purpose to really guide mm-hmm. your own career choices. And I, I love, and I'm so impressed that you had this, this idea that you really wanted to make a positive difference in people's lives. And that's mm-hmm. what I hear you describing your parents really serving as role models in, in that yeah. regard. And so I'm curious also like around that then, like how important is it, do you think, to have that kind of North Star? It's so wonderful mm-hmm. that you had it at such an early yeah. age. Yeah. Well, I think it's great if you have if you have it. And yet I think most people probably don't. And I I didn't have it specifically. I mean, I think at that young age, I thought I knew what I wanted, you know, for a moment here or there. And I probably changed my ideas many times over. But, um, you know, I would say it's great if you have something that that you love. And I think it's perfectly fine to change your mind over and over again. Um, And to, but I think to have that experience of having something that, that just fills you up in some way with that sense of feeling grounded within yourself, feeling like there's something that you love or that you enjoy that, that feels that you're living on purpose, so to speak, that you're feeling purposeful. And I don't mean that you have to be, you know, trying to um, save the world in any way, but but um, but just a sense of I'm here for a reason. I'm here to do this or to make an impact in this way, or I'm here to make an impact in some way. And without comparing yourself to anyone else, just because this is what feels right to you. You know, it's that more intuitive gut feeling. Um, and I talk about that in the book. That's why I call it inside out, because it's the inside, that intuitive gut feeling, you know, as we say, you know, trust your gut. And, you know, I think there's a lot of kids graduating from high school and college these days who have their heads all filled with these ideas about what they, you know, should or shouldn't do as adults. And um, they're not listening to that that voice inside them. I think it's true of a lot of people. And if they were to try to not block out that inner voice and listen to it, it would take them in a, 
a much a, a direction that's going to leave them more at peace with themselves. Let's mm. say. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Mm. And I, I want to come back to that. And But but first, before we go there, too, mm. I, I want to talk about purpose just a little bit more, because I also really appreciate how you're framing it, because around mm. purpose, and I use that term, too, I do think it can trip people up sometimes. Mm. And so, like you're saying, because it starts to feel very lofty. Yes. And so the fact that you're talking about it, like, look, it's an impact in your own way. And I, so I really appreciate how you're talking about it. And you do, you do have a chapter in your book called Success is Not a Destination. And I was going to ask mm. you about this because you say that it's about people making career choices based on their goals, sense of purpose and values. So I just wanted to see if you could say a little bit more about that. And maybe it alludes to what you just shared, like what does it look like to make career day decisions based on those factors? And mm-hmm. if there is something in one of the stories you wanna to highlight to demonstrate that as well, just to give some color mm-hmm. and start to hear like how these stories started to inform some of the writing in the book, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So. So, for example, there are a lot of stories in the book um, that take you on a journey of somebody's life. So some of the people that are profiled are now, you know, fairly senior in their in their careers. Uh, One of the people in the book I profiled was was Ron Carucci, who's, you know, done extraordinarily well in his life. And he for example, he's in that chapter on success is not a destination. So he's, his career started off very young, very successful, depending on how you define. First of all, we all have a different definition of success. You know, how do we define success? I, you know, some people will measure it by dollars. Some people will measure it by other qualities or, or you know, qual- qualities or quantities, things like that. Um and there's, you know, there's a lot of judgment around success and all that, depending on what culture you're in, too, right? Um, but I, I, I did include Ron's story in there. He, he started his career right out of college. He was, he was in the theater, and he actually worked um, as a he was a working actor uh, in New York in the theater, and he found himself. He found the he was doing very well by the standards of of what it means to work in the theater world. He was he was hired. He was being paid to work in the theater, you know, eight shows a week. And he found it to be grueling. He thought, why am I doing the same thing over and over again? Eight shows a week. It's kind of crazy making. Um, And whereas somebody else would would kill to have that, you know. And so he ended up, so he was successful, but it wasn't making him happy. So, so even though he reached for that and he was successful at it, it wasn't his destination. So he went on to do some other things that he was also successful at. He went on and he, he got, he worked for a company where he did experiential um, uh, training and workshops and he did some really interesting things with them and that that went very well for him that was also successful he was very young to be doing some of that work and um that was great and after a period of time he decided to do something else and so we've all had things over the years that in the in the context of a period of time in our lives we may have been successful at them 
and we may have liked them or not liked them. But so when we start to separate out what is successful and whether we like it or not, whether it's meeting our needs or not, we can see that it's not a destination. It's not like when I hear someone say, oh, they've achieved success, they've arrived, you know, well, you've arrived, but there's also a departure again, you know, Um and so I, I think, though, that, that there is this feeling that some people have that they think they're going to arrive somewhere and then they're just going to kind of stay and there's nowhere else they're going to go. They're going to just stay and they're going to as if that's like their safety zone. And I think there was a time, probably more in my parents' generation and, and older, where you could do that. My dad did that, you know, 30 years in, in 30 some odd years in one job got a pension, was supporting him, has supported him beautifully, still does. He's 91. And, um, you know, he's been very fortunate in that way. But you know what? The world doesn't quite work that way anymore. I mean, it it does in some professions, but fewer and fewer. And so um, it's the kind of thing where I think if we think of arriving somewhere, like we reach a certain point, we've made a certain amount of money, or we've achieved a certain level of professional achievements, whatever it is, do we stop growing? No. <laughs> so that's what I mean by that. And, and I think Ron's story is a, is a great one for that, because he tried a number of different things. He, he, he hung up a shingle and was a consultant for a while. Then he went back and he worked for a consulting company because he realized there was more for him to learn in another context. And then he then again went out and started his own firm with some colleagues. And that's what he's doing today. And he's written some amazing books and he's doing all kinds of great things, but he's done great things all the way along. And so you could say he's had very many success points, but there's not one destination with that. Yeah. What I so appreciate about what you're saying is, is that you are talking about this idea of careers being iterative. And I talk about them being, we need to make them regenerative, you know, especially today, like you're saying, in terms of this, given our, how our world operates today. And part of the reason I think this is really important is I I actually don't think we talk about this enough that, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that we do go through stations and this is the sustainable ambition has two different parts. Part of it is about how do you manage a career over time? And I think it's so important today. And I think there's a lot of angst around this too, that happens. And I want to bring this back a little bit because I I'm curious how you think about, again, work from the inside out and you said Mm -hmm. intuition. And I think intuition is probably at least my sense is it's really important in a number of factors, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of tuning into yourself, but also along one's trajectory of Mm -hmm. a career. Mm -hmm. I often say, and I've said on the podcast many times, like pay attention, listen to those voices that are saying something's up, something's off. There's a little clue, right? That something's happening and you might be at a transition point or where you just got to look at what's there. And I'm wondering if the, you know, if that's an element for you of Mm -hmm. intuition, and if you can say a little bit more about intuition as you were starting to allude to earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you, you just pointed out a very, a very key, one key um, sign of intuition, which is that voice in our head, right. That tells us something's not right. I, I had it. I had that experience myself on several occasions in my earlier career where I was 
in a job and maybe initially when I took the job, it seemed like it was a really great idea. It was a great situation. And within some period of time, I grew to be unhappy or there were things going on in the organization that really didn't feel right to me, either something that went against my values or um, or I didn't like the way I was being treated by my superiors. Um, so there were a variety of things. And yet I would try to, you know, take that voice and just sort of brush it away and say, just give it more time, give it more time. You know, you're being impatient or, you know, or this job is good for my career. Don't, you know, just, you know, don't, don't be like that, you know? And I think that's true with this whole success is not a destination thing as well, is that people think they have to sort of tolerate or put up with the stepping stones and, and suffer along the way, you know, pay their dues, so to speak, so they can reach some kind of glorious destination um, of success. So I think there's that, that model, right? And, you know, there's no guarantees that you're going to get to that place. And how do you know you're really going to like it when you get there after you've, you know, spent however many years playing a game, right? And so I think that to brush away those voices that are telling you, this really sucks. I hate where I am right now. I mean, I easily recognized in a couple of jobs I was in, I recognized pretty quickly when I took a job that it wasn't feeling right and probably stayed a couple of years in, in a few of these jobs. And really, I really grew to be pretty unhappy and um, when I look back on it now, I realize I, I probably should have transitioned out a lot sooner. But because of those experiences, I realized how important it is to spend, I think, as much time as you can during your best working years, enjoying what you're doing. You know, you don't have to love every minute of it, of course. But given the number of hours that we spend at work during our adult lives, I think it makes sense to try to enjoy what you're doing, mm. you know, and the intuition is really what's going to take you there. Yeah, I think that's so great. And I want to I want to kind of point like build on what you're also pointing out, both in your own experiences, but also Ron's. And I, I've experienced this, too, where you've taken jobs and you've had experiences where some might be like, that was a mistake. I shouldn't mm -hmm. have, I shouldn't have taken yeah. that job. Mm -hmm. I, I know, like I said, I know I've done that, but I don't regret having taken those steps because mm -hmm. they're informative for me. Mm -hmm. It's not to say they weren't painful or what have you, but right. that's just a part of the journey. But I am, I mm -hmm. am curious what you think about that. Like, how do you, like, do you have any counsel for people or tell people how to kind of frame those and put those yeah. experiences into context. Because I think nice. sometimes people, again, there's so much angst around career management. And I think there's a lot of angst and like beating up on oneself for yeah. sometimes getting it wrong. But it's like, you know, there's also all those stats out there that talk about like, even from a hiring perspective, it's like oftentimes there's like, I think one in 10 that like when you hire somebody, you knock it out of the park and like yeah. maybe three out of 10 where it's like, okay, well, it's probably, mm -hmm. maybe it's the same with getting a job as well or finding that job fit. Well, it probably is because if you figure that's the other side of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, here's what I've noticed in my coaching practice. And that is when 
when you are, if you've been out of work, let's say you've been laid off or, you know, you've been out of work for some period of time, um, most people are, or you're really miserable in the job you're in. People are generally, they're very, they're just desperate to, to get a job. And so if they get an offer, especially if they've been interviewing for a while and they don't get any offers, they will often just jump at the first offer they get, whether it's a good fit or not. They'll just talk themselves into it and they'll take it. And I try in many cases to say, are you sure you want to do that? Because I can tell that the likelihood is pretty good that it's they're going to be knocking on my door within a couple of months, between two and six months after that. Um, and it usually does happen when they when they've made that decision really as a knee jerk reaction to the situation that they're in when they've interviewed versus deciding they really want the job. And that's a different kind of decision than when you've made a decision to take a job that you thought was going to be a good choice and it just didn't work out. So there's there's a number of different scenarios. Either way, though, people do have a really good habit of, you know, beating themselves up over these things. And so and that that kind of no matter how they arrived there, it does seem that people do sort of give themselves a hard time. And I agree with you that regardless of how you got there, if you've made a decision to accept a job and it doesn't work out, I think I agree, you know, just appreciate the fact that, okay, you're not going to do that again. (laughs) You know, it's like the time I locked my keys in my car and left the engine running. You're not going to do that again, (laughs) you know? So you try to you try not to repeat those mistakes. But I think the other thing is you learn from it. You learn what you really don't like. And how are you going to know what's right for you unless you've been in a situation that isn't right for you? So, you know, I I also say to people all the time, do you have a crystal ball? Do you know? Can you predict the future? How were you to know when you took that job that it wasn't going to work out? I mean, how many times in your life have you stepped into a situation that you weren't 100% sure about and it actually pleasantly surprised you? So you've got to go into things in good faith. And, you know, even though there might be that little voice of doubt telling you this isn't right, this isn't right, for one reason or another, you made the decision, you have to live with the decision, and you can also live with the decision to decide it's not right and and leave it if you need to leave it. But to beat yourself up is just a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's That's good direct counsel <laughs> for people. <laughs> but to also to be kind to themselves about it as well. Absolutely. And like really frame it, as you're saying, as a learning opportunity. So yep. mm-hmm. yeah, because I think this is one, and I don't, I don't, I can't remember all the chapters, Tammy, in the book, but I wanted to make sure I noted, again, coming back to the second part of your title of the book, which is breaking through nine common obstacles to design mm-hmm. a career that fulfills you. And so you are addressing in the book, what you find is these nine common kind of hurdles that people um, bring up and or face often. And mm-hmm. I know you center a lot those often you say that those are centered around the idea of fear. Yes. And um, 
And, and so I, and one of those, and I wanted to go ahead with that as framing, just come to one mm-hmm. of the other sections that I think is really relevant, probably for my listeners too, is around this idea, it's never too late. And I think that's yeah. one of those hurdles where people think like, you know, that I, I can't do that now because, you know, right. or it's too late to be an entrepreneur because, uh, yes. you know, et cetera. And yet I think there are, there's plenty of data out there that suggests, I actually think later stage entrepreneurs are probably, we're going to see more of them. And I think yeah. there's plenty of data that says they're more successful, but mm-hmm. um, what do you advise for people who are later in their con- careers when it you know, again, it's often a time when people are, are really fr- afraid to step out and mm-hmm. almost don't think that, that they have that muscle around the growth mindset. Hmm. Well, if you think you don't, you won't. So I think the first thing I would say is if there's a part of you that really wants it, get first step, get more information. You know, so if there's that little part of you, even if it's a little part of you, start to do a little research, start to, to build your, your curiosity muscle first. Nobody's telling you you have to do this. So I think um, give yourself an opportunity to just learn a little bit more about whatever it is that you're thinking about, you know, before you completely talk yourself out of it. Uh, I would say also, don't do it alone. Let somebody know who's in your corner that you're that you're thinking about this and 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 get a get a little cheering squad going. Not not a lot of people, maybe one or two who you can at least share some of the information that you're gathering, share it with them and let them know what you're learning about it. Maybe engage in a conversation with them about it because they might offer a perspective about it in regard, you know, in relationship to you since they know you and that might help for you to get a little more excited about it, or they might offer you another perspective on it that you hadn't thought of that even gets you more excited about it or just gets you thinking about it. Um, I think too often, regardless of the even the age issue, but I, but I think particularly in this case, I think too often people try to make changes or try to consider these things completely on their own without bouncing it off of another person who knows them or even taking a look at, you know, different ways that people have done these things. And that's why I filled the, the book up with stories, because I wanted people to see what's possible. Not that they have to duplicate what other people have done, but just to know these things have done them, and you can too. So I think um, gathering information, don't do it alone. And, and you know, what's and ask yourself, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Um, but I, I know, I mean, I've helped lots of people in their, you know, older years, you know, go out and do something they really wanted to do. And, you know, you have to really decide what's stopping you. And and then, you know, if it re- you really want to be talked into it, you know, you, I always say, so you're on your deathbed. <laughs> Ask yourself, are you going to regret not doing this? Mm -hmm. There's your answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like that. And I love that, you know, you have this in the book, this idea, and I think you're alluding to it here. And I'm curious if you have anything else you'd want to add to it. It's like you said, surround yourself or something like this with positive people. And you you italicize and emphasize positive. So Mm -hmm. I was curious what you might have meant by that and why you were emphasizing that. 
Um, because I think that, and I don't mean like, you know, Pollyanna, like, you know, sugarcoating everything, but I think that, um, you know, there are people who in our lives who might have our best interests at heart, who also might be the people who are saying, yeah, but you know, you know, the cautionary kind of well-intentioned people. But I think that it's important to be surrounded by encouragement and positivity and people who will offer you another pair of eyes on something, another, another way of just thinking about things. And usually if people are positive, they're usually, they're also generally, they have curiosity and that kind of curiosity, you know, I wonder about this. I wonder about that. Oh, that looks interesting. That kind of curiosity and openness will usually get you to the next step. Mm. And again, nobody's tying your hands up in this, but I think it, it definitely gets you thinking about what is possible. And that way, even if you decide not to go forward, you'll at least know you gave yourself a chance to think it through further. Mm. I really appreciate that. And I, one of the things that comes up for me around this, and I know you give some counsel around networking as well, but one of the challenges I think that people often face when they network, when I've talked with people, or I've even been given this counsel as well, like you have to talk to people with very, being very specific of what you're asking for and what you're looking for, because then they can really help you. And I'm like, okay, that might be some people, but for this type of a thing, you need to find those people who are naturally wanting to network and naturally mm-hmm. wanting to help their, their generative mm-hmm. creative people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. are like, you're saying curious and yeah. like engaging in these types of conversations. And mm-hmm. that's not everyone, but it's like, right. you, you do have to really kind of seek those type of people out. And I, mm-hmm. I just wish that, cause I know I get really frustrated with it when I'm like, people say, you got to be really specific. I'm like, yeah, but when you're exploring Right. You, you don't know. Yet. You don't have that yet. <laughs> well, there's another there's another thing I say about that. I'm glad you brought that up, Kathy. It, so uh, I, I like to quote Dale Carnegie on this. And I tell all I tell this to all my clients I say, be interested, not interesting. So approach people who, you know, who either love or like what they do, who seem to be engaged in their lives in a way where they they in some way, shape or form appear appear to be, you know, fulfilled and satisfied with what they're doing almost in a way that you admire or wish you could be at this point. Um, And, and just check in with them and say, you know, I'm in the process of considering my options. I, I haven't narrowed them down completely yet, but I thought I would just check in with you and see how things are going for you. And, maybe learn a little bit more about what you're doing and, and understand that. And I can share a little bit with you about what I'm thinking about, but I, I really just, just want to hear about you. And because I think when you do that, there are things that that person will tell you about their experience and what they like about it um, and what they don't like about it that might spark ideas within you about something you might want to do. So I think oftentimes we can learn a lot about ourselves through the lens of another person's experience. Yet another reason why I wrote the book the way I did. Um, so, uh, you know, I think 
too often there's way too much pressure, as you said, on us to be specific. Now, there are times where being specific in your ask, when you're asking somebody for references or for names of people to speak to when you are on a quest for something very specific, yes, you need to you know, help somebody to help you by being specific, but this is a different kind of inquiry. So you can't be specific if you're not specific yet. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And, but I really appreciate this lens to it and this reframing yeah. of it as well. And like this idea of being interested and also finding those people that are doing the kind of work who might be similar to you that are doing the kind of work you think you're curious about and then having yeah. these types of conversations and doing what you're doing as you're, as you're noting. So yeah. I really appreciate that as counsel yeah. for people. You know, the other thing with that, is you can ask people things like, well, how long have you been where you are? How did you get there? I think that's another interesting piece of it. It's not only what they're doing or how they're doing it, but finding out about their journey. How did they connect the dots to even get where they are? Because I think that also gives people insight into how do people even land where they landed? I think, because I think people get daunted just by the process of how am I ever going to find my way to there, here or there? And then you realize everybody has found their way one way or another, and you just have to kind of keep going and keep going. And so um, I think that's always interesting to hear those stories about how they landed somewhere. And then the other piece I think that's really, really important Never end a conversation with somebody without asking if there's at least one other person that they might recommend that you chat with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can say, look, do you know someone else who's as happy as you are? Can I speak with them? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And I think what you're tying together there is a couple of different things from this idea of like also our careers being iterative, that mm -hmm. success is not a destination, yeah. that it is this journey. And again, for me, it also, because again, career, this career management, there's a lot of angst around it. And there's this thinking, mm -hmm. oh, I got to get it right from the start. And it's daunting yeah. instead of like, no, it's going to be iterative and it's a journey. And so I yeah. appreciate that. And you're right, both through the reading the stories in your book or talking to people, how did you get there? You'll start to get a sense of what that yeah. path might be. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I know this question might be a big one, but I'm curious from your all the experience you have, both in writing the book and working with people over the years, the podcast, if you'd have any counsel as you look at people, say, in at different decades of their careers, and I know these are generalizations, but it's mm -hmm. kind of like if you're giving counsel to people in their 20s versus their 30s versus their 40s and beyond, generally, like if you had counsel for them at these different stages of career, what mm -hmm. might you share with them? Well, first thing I would say is, especially if we're talking about this in 2022, based on just sort of what I know here and now, I would say to people in their 20s, don't be in such a rush to get to the top office or the top position. Don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and learn how every job is done in the organization you're in. Um, just because you have, if, if you indeed do have a college degree, don't assume that you're highly qualified for everything that, that's in an organization. Really 
take advantage of the opportunity to learn a lot of different kinds of jobs. Um, and then as you go up, again, don't be in such a rush. Even when you, you hit your 30s, if you think it's time to try something else, it's a perfect time to pivot and try something else. I understand that some people start to get a little more comfortable with a certain lifestyle and all of that. And it gets harder and harder for people to let go of maybe a salary and things like that. That's a personal choice. Um, and it's always easy. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I still say to people, if you if you think that you don't really like or even love the field that you're in at this point and you're entering your 30s, it's a really good time to take some time to reevaluate that and give yourself a chance to rethink that. And even if it means taking a pay cut to do that, um, you'll, you will thank yourself down the road. Now, people who hit their 40s and are have really you know, sunk their feet in and are really invested in whatever they've done. If, if that's the case, um, that's when it, that's when it gets even more difficult for some people to, to pivot if they want to. So again, you know, I'm, I'm of the mind of read some of the stories in my book and you'll see those people who had families with children and still managed to make a different, make, make a difference for themselves. Now, I would say when you start to get to your 40s, you realize um, it doesn't really matter what your next door neighbor has done or accomplished or what your college friends have done or accomplished. You may think it matters, but they really don't care what you have or haven't done. If you're unhappy, then it's time to reevaluate. It doesn't mean that you're going to make a, a change quickly. In fact, it takes time. And I've seen people, and the stories in my book illustrate this, the changes that people made in, at that age, they made them very slowly. And that, so they took some time to investigate and study things and look at things. And so the transitions they made took years, but they had a vision. So I would say when you reach that stage, that point in life, if you don't like where you are, then start to create a vision and start working towards it. And hopefully you make that transition so that by the time you're in your 50s, you might continue to grow that vision or you might step away and do something else. Who knows? Depending on how what you're feeling, maybe you built up a lot of confidence at that point and you're thinking, well, if I could make that change, I can make another change. If you're into that, you may not. You may you may love what you're doing and you want to keep building it. I think the key from any decade to from any decade to the next is, and this is, the, you know, I'm speaking very generally here, but um, I think always be learning something new, you know, always, even if it's a twist on the same theme, I think if we stop learning, that's when we we're really missing the boat. And so um, learning is, is key. It just, I mean, writing this book, I've learned more than I ever imagined, ever imagined. And it's exciting. It's been hard in many ways, but, you know, I'll take that kind of hard learning over lots of other things that seem hard to me. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind hard. That's fine. 
because I was learning something. It's something that contributed to something I wanted to accomplish. So, um, and I'm in my early 60s now. So I'm surrounded by friends who want to retire now. I have no plans to retire right now because I, I love what I do. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a matter of asking yourself as you get into these older years, I guess we call these older years, <laughs> um, you know, what is it that you want to look toward? What do you look forward to? What what matters to you in terms of, you know, to get back to that word purpose, what what feels purposeful to you? You know, for some people, maybe at this point in life, my point in life, they don't care anymore. They just want to kind of have a, a life where they don't have much of a schedule and they kind of want to live life on their terms. I feel like I've been living life on my terms all along because I set up my own business when I was 40 and I made life on my terms a while ago. So I don't need to retire to have life on my terms, but I understand when you've been working for an entity, how that would be a shift. So I think that you know, there there are ways in which you really have to check in with yourself and see what it is you want and give yourself some time to work on it. Yeah. Uh, so much goodness in all of what you just shared, Tammy. Thank you so much. And I could talk to you for a very long time, as I told <laughs> you before we even started the interview. So I want to just close with this because we are about just out of time. The book is really a wonderful mix of, I think, awareness building, storytelling through other people's experiences, reflection, exercises, additional resources, um, a way to get back in touch with Tammy. What is your hope? And I want to bring this back to your own purpose. What's your hope for the book and the impact it will have in making a positive difference in people's lives? Oh, Kathy, thank you. Well, thank you first for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, it's been delightful, as delightful as it was to have you as a guest as well. Um, my hope is that the book will inspire people, uh, inspire people who are really looking to do something in their lives that they're not doing now and inspire them to open up, be curious and find something that makes their heart soar or just makes them more satisfied and fulfilled. It doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, fireworks going off. It could be something that just brings about maybe some simple contentment, whatever that is. But I, my hope is that the book will bring about something, some kind of change for, for people that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And, um, and there probably will be people who read the book who weren't thinking they were necessarily going to make a change. And maybe they got surprised in the process. So I just, I, all I want is for people to be happier in their work. I think, you know, we've seen the Gallup polls around in, employee engagement. We know that there's room for improvement there. So let's, let's see what we can do about that. Yes, I'm with you. That's beautiful. Wonderful. And then just really quickly, Tammy, where can people find you so that they can find the book? Well, they can, um, well, they can find the book at www workfromtheinsideout.com. They can find me there as well, tammygoolerlobe.com. The book is also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and 
at your, you can always order it through your local independent bookstores as well. And we want to support our independent bookstores too. Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of ways to get the book. It's available as an ebook and a paperback now, and it will be available as a hardcover down the road a little bit. Sounds great. Well, I will capture that all in the show notes. Tammy, thank you so much for being on with me today. This has been really a fabulous conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. It's been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.